With Father's Day right around the corner, what do you give to the man who has everything? Easy. You give him an experience he'll never forget. You give him Omaha Steaks because a world-class dad deserves a world-class steak. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with hand-selected gift packages starting at just $89. Just go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for an additional discount when you shop gourmet gift packages for Father's Day. With Omaha Steaks, the possibilities are endless. Endless flavor, endless variety, and endless value. Truly, they have perfected more than just steak. Your dad is guaranteed to love every bite. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dads want steak. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just $89. What is up? Welcome to episode number 361 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast, joined, as always, by Mr. Baseball Shirt himself, Nick Pollock. Nick, how you doing? What is happening? It's kind of funny when Fast realizes when he starts the show, oh, no, I don't have an adjective for Nick. <laughs> and he tries to figure it out out of nowhere. As he It's like, oh, my coffee. God, the brakes are out. <laughs> but, yeah, we're back to, like, the normal show. Hey, what's up? Hi guys. Um, yeah, we uh, we have a fun one today talking about just some pitchers that we've been thinking about over the past two months. I mean, we've been thinking about a lot more pitchers than this, but we did some deep dives on them and we want to talk about it. Uh, I, I had a fun night last night, by the way, fast. What happened? I, I was able to do the Rick Graham on the corner. Uh, mm. He did his mock draft, the last of all 12. Mm-hmm. If you guys aren't familiar with Rick Graham, I don't know how you're not. He's a senior fantasy analyst here. Lifesaver. All of the reliever rankings, like all of them, and then leads that team for the daily reliever rank articles. He's insane. It's an, it's amazing. And killed that one right after I did the CBS podcast with Frank Sample and, and Scott White. They're amazing. Super fun. Talks about pitching. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I you know, you know how I do my rankings fast where I don't talk to anyone. I just do yeah. my thing and then like I get maybe, you know, I talk to some people here and there. Um it was interesting because I might be too low on Justin Verlander and I uh, Scott White has him as the number one starting pitcher. Yeah. Uh, and at first I was very much like, there's no way we've talked about this already before how we think that, you know, I, I see it as like a storm coming for Justin Verlander. He gets older. The fastball we think was worse last year. And so it was a slider and he still had a 175. and Scott made the good point of like, look like this guy has, been such an unbelievable rock for ages now even in the tommy john season like he was you know coming back from it they had a six-man rotation to help ease him into it he still gave 175 innings of dominance uh how can you not believe in this and there's something to be said about that um a lot of the times i i certainly have a bias of trying to be too smart almost uh of saying okay this was a thing but i'm so much going to follow the underlying pitches that tell me a different story 
and only listen to those. And ultimately, it's, you know, the actual results of stuff do tell a large story as well. So if a guy is bad and he has really good stuff underneath, like he might still be bad. And if he has mediocre stuff but is doing really well, he might still really be good, right? So I might be lifting Justin Verlander up closer to 15, oh. 14, something like that. Not not one, but I'm going to be pulling him out from where he is currently. I wanted to make that point. And then after that, I hung out with, I saw uh, Toby and, and Casey Bubba doing their mm. Bench with Bubba series. And then I jumped onto the Friends with Fantasy Benefits with Justin Mason and um, mm. Dave McDonald and Sam. And it was it was the best. It was I had the best evening. I'm hyped. I'm ready to go. That's delightful. I'm I'm glad you're feeling that way. Yeah, I, I forgot that you even had Verlander outside of the top 20. That yeah, is because I, I was I thinking like twice since like I pushed him up above it. And then now I'm going to do even more. I haven't put anything out that says it, but I've said it on this, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm. I, I am glad that you're feeling that that kind of boost. I mean, I, I was feeling it a couple of days ago. I started my top 100 research a little bit earlier this year, and yeah, man, no, it's you know, fun. it's just fun to 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 dive back in. I feel I feel refreshed. I feel ready to go. It's nice to not feel a deadline looming. You know what I mean? So you can kind mm. of just enjoy the research yeah. for a little while and right. and take it easy. It's um, nice to have and, you with me on this journey too, as opposed to like show up in the end of January. Like, who's this guy? I'm like, fast. He's he, he, it's Nick. That has Dillon. never happened ever, <laughs> ever, literally never happened. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> they, I, I, I will say I, you know, so I have this kind of idea that Nick and I are acting on right now too, which is going to be the basis of this podcast where it's like, it's, it's too early really in my mind yeah. to be like, here are the top 100 starting pitchers for 2023. I don't think our bodies are ready for that yet, but we don't need to do that yet. What we can do is be like, Hey, I'm not worried about the ranking. Here's the research that I did. Here's the things that I'm paying attention to and studying. And I was hoping for the listeners, because we do think about you and care about you, that this could be valuable in your off-season research to hear what it means for Nick Pollock to break down a pitcher, which you know well if you watch any of the streams, or maybe what it means for me to break down a pitcher, which you might not know as well because I can be a little bit more secretive about my notes because I'm too terrified to, to share them publicly. Um, so silly. we hope... This insight gives this insight. This podcast gives you a little bit more insight into that. But before we dive into five guys that we wanted to talk about a little bit more in depth for the ad fast, don't do this. I'm not doing the ad, you dingus. We got other things we want to talk about because there have been a slew of free agent signings that are pertinent to to us, (laughs) that are pertinent to you as fantasy players, and none more pertinent than um, Chris Bassett on a three-year deal, which I think is a little bit of a surprise. He was asking for four. Um, some It was rumored maybe five. Three makes sense. Uh, three-year, $63 million contract going over to the Blue Jays. What was your uh, original thought on this as Nick belched so profoundly he scared himself? Like, that was an unbelievable thing to watch. I forgot my girlfriend's in the apartment and uh, now like, so like I, I mute myself on it when I belch because I drink lots of water in this and sometimes I need to and I mute myself, make sure you guys don't hear it. Sure. But then I forgot there's someone else that could hear it. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but, uh, but Chris Bassett, I mean, this is, it's interesting to me. I really thought that this was a steal of a contract. Um, yep. And I could be wrong about it. I mean, I'm amazed that he settled for this, that other teams didn't want in on it. 
Uh, every I think every team in the majors could have done three years, essentially sixty million for Chris Bassett yeah. and been thrilled. Um, I don't know why it, he didn't get that fourth year to seventy five or something like that. All mm-hmm. right, or I don't know. It wasn't sixty exactly, maybe like an eighty. But you understand what I'm saying, and because Chris Bassett to me is a kitchen sink guy who knows how to pitch and with that sinker gets a high csw every year uh cutter and slider usage has gone up which is good he saves that four seamer to put away guys with two strikes as a 15 percent swing strike rate on that elevates it does that really well really emphasize emphasizes that again two strikes he just saves it um the curveball is good too and he's a workhorse i mean these kind of pitchers don't exist as much anymore and he's better than your martin perez types in my view he has a little bit more strikeout upside. Um, he's a little bit, he's a step above your standard quote unquote innings eaters, but he's not a, a true ace. But every day he pitches, you feel like you can win the game with Chris Bassett. I, um, I'm going to, I'm shocked at this. I'm going to jump in right there because I just had an epiphany and it's not a correction of you. So it's a correction of us. We're, we're wrong about that. I don't think we can call Chris Bassett anything close to a workhorse or an innings eater. He's he's eclipsed 180 innings once. He's eclipsed 150 twice. That that's that's shocking to me because I also was kind of buying into a narrative like, oh yeah, he's a kind of steady dude. So it's not I, I don't want to feel like you, I'm calling you out here because I truly genuinely would have said the same thing. I am kind of shocked then to see that I mean, look at the first couple years of his career, right? He's not even eclipsing 100 innings until the fifth year of his career in 2019. Obviously, 2020 happens. He gets 63 innings. But then 157 in 2021, 181, uh, about 182 last year. That's kind of shocking to me. I thought he was more of a workhorse than that. Yeah. So, I mean, he came up in in 2014 um, and I... and didn't really find a rhythm anywhere, right? He came up with the, the White Sox, went to Oakland, didn't get so many opportunities, started to get them in 2019. That's how he had 144 innings, 25 games started, 28 games with three in relief, then pitched all through 2020, no problem. Um, had 27 starts, 157 innings in 2021, had one injury, but still 27 starts made, and then 30 starts this past year, uh, averaging about six innings per and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I mean is that he's a guy who goes six, seven innings constantly. Sure. Uh, okay. And that isn't too common these days. I, uh, I would imagine, sure. If you want to say there's going to be one injury sent at some point, that's going to miss him a couple of weeks or turn to the rotation. That's fine. But even if you want to see 170 innings, I mean, steamer hasn't projected for 180. I don't really see otherwise, you know, why would you think that's really just one significant injury maybe in the past three years yeah. um, for Bassett. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel he's really good still. And now that he's on yeah. the days, the, the only concern I have is, well, we saw it with Brios. We saw it with, um, with Gosman is that maybe the defense isn't ready for, for a guy like Bassett who had a 49% ground ball rate last year. Mm. Uh, that is a little startling. I uh, maybe is even closer to 50%. And, they are ground ball guys. The defense is not good in Toronto. The The turf is not helpful. Um, the Babbitt was better for Gosman on the road. Uh, so maybe there's something to that. Um, I still like it. I think he's going to get lots of wins for you and be a good ERA guy and be a good whip guy with a fair amount of strikeouts. I mean, he's a solid number four on any fantasy team. That's my goal 
mm-hmm. I think entering this year. No, I'm with you too. Uh, and and to yeah, uh, let me reset too because again, I had that weird epiphany about the innings. I'm fully with you. I think the contract is a really good contract. I mean, I'm very surprised that a guy wants to now become a free agent again in in at his age 36 season, right? Like yeah. that's a little bit wonky to he me, right? Like if I'm him, then. yeah, I don't yeah know. he. Well, I thought he would, yeah, maybe, he, maybe that's what he thinks. But I figured he would want to be like, no, sign me until I'm 38, 39. This is going to be the contract I retire on. Uh, so that's right. a little bit shocking. With that said, I wonder if um, I, I, he was the guy that I really was hoping that the Orioles were gonna were gonna be in on. Not to mix mm-hmm. too much nabs in this, I do wonder if the fact that he was a rejected qualifying offer, dude, had a lot of teams who that were rebuilding, fair. yeah, thinking like, because then I believe it's. Uh, the second highest draft pick you have and the uh, about a, an ec- like I think it was like $500,000. No, it had to be like $150,000 in international bonus pool money or something mm-hmm. like that. So I, I imagine that's why the Orioles might have been like, mm, I don't know if we're doing that. With that said, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's a nice deal. I think he's a good fantasy pitcher for you. He's got really, really great uh, a command um, and he's a dude who's going to age well to um, because it's not like he's super velo dependent. So I'm, I'm kind of exactly. with you. I, I think he's a really nice signing. The other major signing is there have been a lot in the past couple of days uh, is Ross Stripling to the Giants. This is another signing where I was like, yeah, give me all of that. If I'm a front office, we're talking about just what a two year deal. Right. Like this, it was a two year deal for twenty five million dollars with, I think, a a third option. I mean, I'm I'm all about that. What do you think about this stripling deal? Uh, I I think it's very much the Giants. This is Mm -hmm. what they do. It's like, oh, of course, he's going to the Giants. Just like it was with Alex Wood and Alex Cobb and Anthony Descofani. Like we this is Carlos Rodon. They they sign the guys that we think are good. (laughs) Yeah. And like, oh, if only this little thing and then they get them like, oh, yeah, right. Duh. I think this is great. The biggest question to me is the Giants defense for 2023. Mm. If they, you know, we saw them be really good in 2021, not so good in 2022. I don't know where we stand at the moment on it. If they can improve from last year, uh, I wonder if they can work on stripling and really make him as good as possible. The days that I've seen the Ross stripling act as the best pitcher is when he's had his entire repertoire working. The changeup has been the most effective pitch lately. Uh, 22% swing strike rate on that one. He increased its usage this year, 12 points, which is great to see up to 22, 27%, but also getting strikes and curveballs and sliders as well. Um, they're not whiff pitches. And that's mm. the thing I really want to emphasize. Those looking back at the Dodgers season when he was 27% K rate or 25%, yeah. that's likely not going to come back because of the breaking balls just aren't that good. Um, neither pitch has a 10% swing strike rate. So it's really on that changeup and making sure that stays down enough. But if he gets enough strikes with curveballs and, and sliders, things should be good. The fastball's okay. Uh, he's more inclined to elevate uh, now more than ever. Jumped it up to near 60% as opposed to 50 or 51 in previous years for high uh, high location. However, just matched his 2021 swing strike rate of 10%. So I, uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, if the changeup's working on a given night, stripling can be good. I think he's a nice deep play in uh, in fantasy leagues. Uh, and for 15 teamers, sure, I'll work. Um, watch by uh, the springs. All of a sudden, stripling's throwing 94, and we're we're stoked instead of the 92. And what do you know? 
everyone wants to roster stripling like it was with Cobb and Wood last year. But uh, but yeah, he's fine. Uh, I'm actually more curious who he faces out of the gate. Mm. Um, sticking with this same team, uh, you know, the, the Giants are very much like the Dodgers or the Rays, or if they're going to acquire a pitcher, there's going to be a little bit of interesting things to pay attention to here. Do you feel that same way about Sean Manaya? Um, right. So they're both on the Giants now. I honestly, this is how it is right now. It's Logan Webb, Alex Cobb, Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling, Alex Wood, right? Mm-hmm. I need to know who the one, two, and three is. Because I don't want, uh, I mean, Logan Wood, fine. Who cares? Yeah. Between Kyle Mania, Stripling, and Wood, they will go against the Yankees. <laughs> I don't, mm-mm. it's a three-game set to, against the Yankees to start the year, and then it's three against the White Sox. So I'd be more inclined to get the guy that who's going to be the number four or the number five um, than the, the two or the three for the Giants. Because yeah, I'll start any of those guys maybe against the, the White Sox. I don't know about Shamanaya. But what? Um, why? So uh, I'm being a little tongue in cheek, but weren't the Yankees yeah. like one of the worst offenses in baseball for like yeah, three months I'm last gonna, year? I'm not gonna. I, I understand that. I think they're better now. Um, okay. But I and they have Judge back. It's fine. Everything is. Yeah, fine. they had him too during that stretch. Yeah, yeah, they, that, it'll be fine. I don't. I don't want to start Shamanaya against the Yankees opening weekend. Would you? Okay. Um. I, I, I don't know if I buy into in that as Yankee much. Stadium. Huh? In Yankee Stadium. Um, yeah, away, sure. Maybe I would be a little more to be honestly, if I'm if I'm being very honest, I don't care. In the first yeah. week I just start him because I'm so excited and I'm like so, a kid with a new toy. I understand that. Um my philosophy is especially with those guys that are outside the top two hundred in, in starting pitchers, those last spots are ones that you're going to be cycling through regardless. But so, le- so, so you are going, there are going to be guys that you want instead of these pitchers mm-hmm. at that time. My, my strategy is you get guys at the end that you actually want to start the opening weekend. And then, then you see if there's something better to swap them with. Okay. Uh, if I'm not starting them the op- opening weekend, then I'd rather go after something that's either a higher upside thing that I'm stashing a week for. Or try and get a start that opening weekend. I don't feel in my 12 teamers that I need to hold on to Ross Stripling through the year at this point. Like he is my guy that I'm going to get all this value from. Or that Mm. Alex Cobb's going to be that or Alex Wood is. I'm not in that point. If you feel that way, by all means, ignore me. I don't think those guys are at that level in 12 teamers. 15 teamers, absolutely different. I don't think there's enough of depth on the waiver wire to do that. But in a 12 teamer, there is. And I don't think I want to lean on... I don't I don't want to have them out of the gate. I so okay, put uh, put it this way. Right now Shamanai is outside of your top 100. Um he's 109, so he's not too far. Is he inside your top 100 now? No. No. Probably not. I don't think so. Really? Yeah. There there are a I, lot of really interesting guys to go after. And I wouldn't be inclined uh, to trust roster resources uh lining of Stripling and Wood being the 4-5 with Manaya being the 3. So that means if I'm drafting Shamanaya that means I'm waiting 10 days to get a start from him because I don't want to start him against the Yankees. That's way too risky. And I instead would rather go and chase something else and <clears throat> have that roster spot open uh, to, to chase something that I think is going to be a bigger impact in my 12-teamer than Shamanaya on the Giants. I think I might end up with a, a good amount of Shamanaya. I, I think he is the perfect kind of profile for the Giants to tinker with, and I think there's a reason that they went out and got him. And I think there are a few examples of guys 
who are starters that they have signed with the intent of starting them right away. So I'm not thinking mm-hmm. about guys like Matthew Boyd that have that have not panned out for them. There's a right. really, really good article by um, Kyle Kishimoto that came out in Fangraphs today in our own or hey, our former, former own. Yeah. Staffer, yeah. Exactly. And then also Michael Hedo, I believe maybe is going to release a Sean Manaya piece just about how, uh, you know, I don't want to take too much of the piece. So you guys should go read it on Fangrass, but just about how these are the kind of perfect profiles that the Giants are able to tweak. Um, you know, they, right. they, a lot of talk about like the effectiveness of sinkers, a lot of drop and a low release sure. point, which Ben um, Clemens is so, also talking so about. Are we then saying that last year for Alex Cobb and Alex Wood, it was just luck and they were still really good and they were fixed? I, I yeah, I think for Alex Wood and Alex Cobb, I mean Alex Cobb didn't he have like historically like it seemed at the beginning no, one I of the understand. like unluckiest seasons. You know, we we understand each other. Uh, yeah, it, it it makes me. It's a. I'm not saying that that didn't happen to him. Obviously, he was incredibly unlucky. We were talking about the Giants' defense being also worse. One of my favorite YouTube videos I put out was me reacting to Alex Cobb's most unlucky inning ever. Um, ending with a curveball that was swatted for a home run off of Pete Alonso's bat. Mm. Um, that said, it still didn't work out for them. And was it pure luck or was it the situation a bit? We're talking about the Gi- Giants defense being that bad. So even though they were, quote unquote, fixed, Alex Cobb's throwing harder, looking better than ever. Oh, my God. It still didn't work out. Um, I'm not denying that there was any luck involved. I it's not an instant fix. It's not an instant success, though, right? Mm. There's still something impeding it. Uh, if it was just pure luck, then who cares? Uh, I'm just wondering, is that really all that it was? Yeah, that's it's a valid point. I mean, I, I'm curious to see where he ends up. It just wouldn't surprise me if he did what he did in 2021. Again, maybe not with the innings, but like, and maybe not that low of an ERA, but even if he's like a 4 to 4.15 ERA with like a 1-2 whip and a near 25, 26% K rate, that's that's very 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 good for your team because he's going outside of the top three hundred right now, yeah, and but I don't know. I don't want that on my twelve teamer. I don't. You don't want a twenty six percent K rate with a low four ERA as your last four, pick. I don't want a four four fifteen ERA. I, I, I yeah no I don't want that. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, I want to chase. I want something. I don't want to settle for that in my draft. I want to chase uh-huh. for something better. You know. I, sure. At some point that, that, you know, that, I mean, you know, this at the end of the draft, something better is, is difficult, right? No, it's difficult right, to imagine this is, that. This is the often discussion of, uh, is often the, the, the choice of, all right, I can just settle for something. Um, but honestly, my whole thing is, guys, if you want to settle for something, there are so many things to settle for on the wire that you'll find through the year. Mm. Like, that's fine. If you're saying, no, I need strikeouts and this is going to get me those strikeouts. And I'm willing to give up those ratios for that. That's another story. Um, I generally don't think you have to do that, um, but that's that's your choice. I I I'm very much like no, don't don't draft Toby's. Don't I mean Toby in the sense of ERA and WHIP, uh, and that hurts you. That brings you down. And for the for the strikeouts and stuff, at the very least in April, don't settle for that balance of like oh no. He's gave me strikeouts, but I have to take this massive hit in this. Like, try for something better that actually will help you in both. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say about it is there's I'm going to pepper in a bunch of this stuff over the next couple of weeks because it's it's a brilliant. Can't wait. 
piece of information. But Kyle Bland, the head of analytics over at PitcherList, who's brilliant, great follow. Kyle it was a Blandalytics, right? Uh, on, Bland on Twitter, yeah. um, he's great. It ran some um, some numbers for me to see what the stickiest things were year over year in terms of like uh, 35 different metrics, 36 different metrics. And of all the ERA estimators, Sierra is is the stickiest, right? And ERA is not even worth looking at because it's just right. so volatile in terms of thinking, well, he's probably going to do this again. He's, you know, I'm looking at that. The, the, uh, the Sierra has not fluctuated as much as the ERA. Going sure. back to 2020, which is the smaller sample, 401, 368, 390, whereas 450 ERA down to 391, up to 496. So to me, it's within the realm of possibility that he's been sustaining that Sierra for so long that, uh, I don't know, that it wouldn't surprise me if he was able to get that ERA back to mountain to where it yeah. was. But So, yeah, I mean, I want to see Sean Mania's breaking ball get better. Uh, I mm-hmm. dropped off his swing strike rate, uh, and that's not good. Um, his fastball velocity went down a tick. That's not good. It fluctuated through the year. Some days it was there. Some days it wasn't. It was the most frustrating thing ever. Um, and the changeup, it got hit super hard. 32% hard contact rate, 309 batting average allowed. Uh, I mean, sure, it shouldn't have a 351 Babbitt, but his command of it, not nearly what it should be. Hmm. Uh, I've seen much better than this from Shamanaya, and this was not it. Uh, All right, so, let's move on. Oops, sorry. Yeah, yeah that's it. So Shamanaya, not for me, but I, I get it. If you want to go for it, go for it. We have a uh, a few more signings to get to. Uh, obviously, another another very, very big one. Um, yeah, kind of coming here. out of... Coming out of left field a little bit, uh, Cody Sanga signing a, what is it? I think it ended up being a 98-year deal. Uh, no, sorry, <laughs> five-year deal, $75 million uh, to the Mets. Love that Cohen is just like, it's just money, baby. You can't take it with you. Um, he signs that long-term deal. What were your initial thoughts on this deal? Because that's a lot of years for a good amount of uncertainty. I Well, Cody Singh is a very interesting one, and I do want to talk about him after this break. And we're back, and Fast is just like, man, I was having too much fun talking about I was! It just oh, fun. flew by. I was thinking about Cody Singh. Cody Singh. Um, and, uh, yeah, my understanding is that he's a two-pitch guy. He has a fastball in the mid-90s or so, hovering around like 95, 96, mm-hmm. and then a splitter. Um, and that's about it. I mean, there is a slider in there, too. Or maybe it's a curveball. Yeah, slider, slider, and a curveball. But it's it looks like a two-pitch guy. And I'm a little weirded out by this. I mean, I think a lot of you know my thoughts on splitters. Mm. And that being, I'm all for it if it's your number three pitch. But if it's your number two pitch, then I don't know if I'm in because it's the most inconsistent pitch in baseball, unless you're Kevin Gosman. And to reliably get strikes with it is going to be tough. Um, and it's going to get a ton of whiffs, I'm sure. But Senga's splitter isn't going to be that, okay, I need to get a strike right now pitch. And is the slider curve enough for that? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I'm interested. I'm curious to see. I'm going to be watching him a ton in spring training. Um, and I'll probably do a gift breakdown or something like that just for spring training because I'm that excited about it. Uh, the Mets did a great job getting... Uh, another arm here i honestly would have signed chris bassett for three years instead but that's just me mm, yeah uh, more upside here with senga because theoretically it could be like tanaka with his fastball splitter um but i do like to think that his slider from what i've heard about senga tanaka slider was better 
um, than Senga's. So I'm curious in fantasy drafts. I don't want to jump too high for this. I imagine he'll have some blistering, blistering starts of blisterlings. That is the child of a blister. Um, that small little so guy. Gross. That like, oh no! Over time, if I keep twisting the screwdriver enough, oh, I'll get a blister. That's a blisterling. <laughs> but I, uh, for Senga, he, um, he's a fun. He's a, he's might be just a cherry bomb in the end of having those amazing outings and then kind of disappointing otherwise. In my draft, that means around pick 200, something like that. Uh, so that's around, what, SP 65? Yeah. Uh, I think that sounds right for me because there are so many, so many fun guys to chase. Like Giolito and Flaherty, like, what are they going to be like, you know? And Senga, to me, doesn't have that ultimate ceiling. So uh, a little more tepid on it. I feel bad for any... Fantasy baseball draft that happens before we get to see Kodai Senga throw a spring training game, because I think that is going to really set the bar on where he's at, right? Like if he is even remotely wild in that first game, people might be like, Man, I don't know about this. But if he comes out and strikes out two in an inning of work and it gets gift by pitching ninja, it's going to shoot up. Um, I'm with you in that. Like uh, those guys, I usually don't spend on because there's just a lot of risk involved and I would like a little bit more of a sure thing. And if he hits on another team, great. Congratulations. I mean, I don't know how much you read into the fact that it's a five-year deal for a, you know, a guy who's going to be in his age 30 season. That's not terrible, obviously 30 to 35, but with no real MLB sample size to speak of, um, it's a big risk. Um, the last uh, free agent signing, any interest whatsoever in Trevor Williams, who will be starting in in Washington? It's kind of funny when you said like we have one of the big signing, and all I had left of mine was that it was Trevor Williams. Like this is a fun joke you're making fast. <laughs> and then you say Senga. Like, oh right, right Senga. I uh, yeah, Trevor Williams. I'll, I'll say this: I uh, he'll have opportunity. Mm-hmm. And opportunity is always an interesting thing in baseball because there's a reason why every single pitcher is a major leaguer, which means. And a given day, if you have like a 4.5 ERA in the majors, that essentially means you go like one game of zero and runs and the next one of six and six innings, right? Like that is, it, 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 that's how it works. That's a 4.5, right? Um, so you can be sometimes really good. And I imagine I'll stream Trevor Williams at times in the Nationals this year. Do I want him on a fantasy team? Absolutely not. If it's a... Uh, DC like draft champions thing Trevor Williams actually a pretty sneaky play I think because mm. he'll probably pitch through the entire year maybe he can do that 2018 2019 run that he had that made me write the worst headline I've ever written um, which is the curious case of Trevor Williams which is now a banned headline at pitcher list anyone that says the curious case of is just like nope send it back send it back I'm like, I'm like that not mob boss from the office if he has curious case I send it back what happens if we finally get a Benjamin Button as a pitcher? Like one day there's a prospect named Benjamin Button. You know what? You're 85 years old. I was my instinct was to do a spoonerism of Benjamin Button, so I made it Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. No, Benjamin Button. Um, okay. Uh, what if we get that? That's that's not a question I expected to uh, field today. Fast. Mm, sorry. Um, Keep it in your toes. 
it would be honestly the most interesting thing because we would get him at his, you know, like he'd bet get youth more and more. Like ageists would know what to do. <laughs> Let me save you here. Um, we're going <laughs> to move on to uh, the meat of the potatoes of what we wanted to talk about today. Although that was a very good 30 minute conversation. Because he's entering his 31 year old season, but then he's going to be 30 and 29. How does this <laughs> <That's> work? <true. laughs> God, I tried to save you and you said, you I don't need saving. Your old season. <laughs> um, we, okay. So there's five guys here that we wanted to talk about, not just the burgers that we wanted to talk about um, that we over the past couple of days had done a bit of some deep dives on. And I've got some interesting questions and some things that I'm excited to hear your opinions out. Some things that I've reached out to friends and the industry and in baseball about that. I've gotten some interesting perspectives on, and we're going to discuss them through the realms of some of these pitchers. Um, We talked a little bit, a very little bit, about Kyle Gibson, the first person that I wanted to talk about um, in the last nabs. We talked about him as a, a pertinent signing, but um, I dug a little bit deeper and he, he's the first guy that I wanted to talk about, right? And look at some of his numbers. Now, originally, I was very quick to write off Kyle Gibson as he's going to be exactly what Kyle Gibson has been the past couple of years, right? He's been a guy that's not going to be able to give you more than like a 20% K rate. The whip is probably not going to go below 1.25. And if his ERA comes below four, then you're really, really feeling it right about now. Um, You know, he goes to, he goes to Camden Yards. He's going to drop that home run rate by about 25% because that's what Camden Yards does to you now. And that, that benefits him a lot. He's been a guy who's been hurt by the long ball. Um, Going to give you a good amount of innings. The, the curious thing here, um, and it's something that we kind of hit on was the change that he made to his slider at the very, very end of the year. Mm. He went over to his um, Brooks baseball page uh, only because it was a clear way to look at vertical movement. Whatever. Uh, fast. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, I apologize. Um, I will say that I did use the player list, uh, pitcher list player pages to see that there has been a steady drop in his velo, which is not very encouraging. It's been about a full tick between 2021 and 2022 on his four seamers. Um, but I noticed that there was a really absurdly large spike in, in movement on his, uh, his slider in the penultimate start of his season and did a bunch of digging and was able to confirm, you know, thanks to some people on Twitter and some people that I reached out to, that it was uh, a sweeper that he started to throw. And yeah, I wanted three inches. Yeah, uh, uh, it's, it is a lighter previous start and uh, depth changed by over two, essentially two and a half inches. It's a market change. It's enough to be like, yeah. there's that's it. That's a new pitch. I, that's that's something different. Pitch. Yeah. So yeah. then I went to our game log, by the way, too, you know. So that was my next step. What I wanted to do was then go to the place that is the best to be able to see how a pitch performed on a particular day, which is the pitcher list player pages. And I went to the Kyle Gibson pitcher list player page because I wanted to see a how many whiffs his slider got that day to see if there was any some sort of correlation between the change and its success. And B, if Nick Pollock was excited about that change oh, and nick man. here's Was where i'll I? throw it over to you we, just on. read read your write-up from that day so here's the thing if you don't know this really i i i've actually talked to a lot of people who didn't know this 
my roundups are inside the player page. If I, it's a starting yeah. pitcher, it is you go into the game log and you click the row. You know, there's a plus and minus. There's a plus button all the way on the left. You can just click the row anywhere. It'll expand and you will see what I wrote about that pitcher on that day. I find it super helpful for myself just to remember you know, the the tale I'm telling of the season as I write them. Um, but it's also, yeah, you can get a sense of if I think this start was good or bad. Just there you go. It's right there on our player pages. So what did I write? I got, All right, I'll act it out. <clears throat> I got to get into character. Hold on. <sighs> I'm sorry. What? 25 whiffs. A golden goal? He went 31% sliders and tallied 11 whiffs alone on the pitch, while the cutter dominated as well. There you go. That's it. That's that's, that's very no, that's very lovely. I will Thank say, uh, uh, that Alex passed maybe with a touch I, of Alan there. You know, I use that SP roundup feature very frequently because every once in a while, there's really great write ups of like, oh, um, remember two starts ago he did this with his four seamer or the velocity was down and now it's back up. So it's a really great way to track those things. So I love it, love it, love it when you do that. Then sometimes I get a write-up that's like, sometimes you slip on the mud. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Nick. Well, I even this one, it ended it like simply unreal. I guess he's the most cherry bomb arm out there. Be careful flipping that quarter. And what does he do in his next start? He goes seven earned runs. Like, Yeah. Well, right. okay. So, but then yeah, let's yeah, level yeah, seven. Yeah. I have five earned runs and nine base runners in this one, but he still had nine strikeouts. I was like, what? What's going on? He had a goal. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of the thing too, right? Because we frequently get very excited about pitching changes and what that can mean, but without looking at the results and there are great results in 11 whiffs and 25 overall whiffs because of six on the cutter and a few others on the other heaters. But like you said, but the results don't really matter. It's five innings with five earned runs and seven hits. So it's not like it's particularly helping you. Um, But what's interesting though, is that Baltimore, Baltimore, that seemed to be a guy that they had circled or one of them because they have made no signing since. And it was something that a signing that they made even before the winter meetings, if I recall correctly. Um, I do genuinely wonder if he is, if they're going to say, hey, you're a cutter sweeper guy now. Focus on that. Get rid of the four seam. You do not need it. It is not a good pitch. Nope. And you've got another uh, breaker in your curveball if you need it. You've got an okay changeup, maybe, if you need it. But just go east-west with a cutter sweeper. He's never had problems locating his slider. I don't know if that'll be the case with a sweeper. But the thing is, is he's he's free at the moment. He is out drafted, I think, yeah, outside of the... Just call him up. Dude, what are we doing free. on time? I'm free. <clears throat> I, I do think there is an interesting path here for more K's than we have seen from him in a little while. Like there's a path for it. With that said, there's no guarantee that it works out. Uh, With that said, maybe this new sweeper is something that he can't command and he needs to go back to that original slider that was always his bread and butter. And he just turns back into the Kyle Gibson that we need. But it is for me where I get excited is when I see changes like this happen because it points to something that a, not a lot of people might not be focusing on because Kyle Gibson isn't really a name that's perpetually talked about on podcasts. And B, there is concrete evidence that shows, oh, there's a glimpse of upside here. There's a path forward. There's something foundational and concrete that we can rely on. 
Um, so I'm not necessarily saying, you know, let me let me end on this. All we can do in our research is throw as many facts that we can find on the table and you as a drafter get to assess whether or not you believe in those facts or you don't believe in those facts. To me, the facts are he seems to have a new sweeper. I don't know if he's going to use it. He seems to have a path where he might be able to increase his Ks, bring the ERA down because he's in a new park and have at least 170 innings. He could also not do that and be not great. Where he's at in terms of cost, I'm interested in taking the risk. You might not be. Yeah, I uh, no thanks for a 12 teamer again, like at best is a cherry bomb again. I'm excited mm-hmm. by the sweeper. It didn't quite work out. I don't think the sinker is any good either, um, which is a problem. So if he's sinker slider and one pitch is bad, then no thanks. The cutter is an okay strike getter, but they're both going the same direction, the cutter and the slider. I need something that is not that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not interested. I I'm not I'm totally get that he will have good days and it's gonna be cool to see but yeah no kyle gibson to me is um it's just not the pick you want to make again i i'm i this is how i i work it's the miss frizzle method you get four guys that you're never dropping through the year and then the rest of your draft is chasing sp3s essentially Mm. um hoping for something more than that but you're essentially chasing sp3s 12-teamers are made for you to be able to find these guys off the wire. If you settle for Sean Mania and uh, Kyle Gibson, that means you don't get a chance to go for Christian Javier and Spencer Strider because you won't have the bench spot. Uh, it's it's just kind of how it works. You have to have your hand in as many pots as possible to get those league-winning guys. And Kyle Gibson and Sean Mania are replaceable, like incredibly mm-hmm. so. Um, so I'm not interested in 12 teamers. 15 teamers is a more interesting discussion. I think there is a really good argument to be made about him going to Baltimore being a more winning club. I don't want to say a winning ball club, but a more winning ball club than before. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? I know it was 83 wins or whatever, but more winning. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Uh, they're not going to get 83, but 84. Eight, I'm, at most, that's the highest I'll go. I won't go any higher. No, it was, it was, it was 83. I got it, and you. Oh, I just want this moment to be known that I knew the Baltimore Orioles win total and fast questioned it. Just yeah, want that right. put out into the to the ether. Um, In my head, it's did you make the playoffs or not? It's binary. The record doesn't oh, matter. Wow, boy, that's a lot of suffering. Um, anyway, I Kyle Gibson. Um, it could work at times, but it's just not the kind of thing I want to go for. First star of the year is at Boston. That actually could be good. Uh, so maybe if I'm saying to myself, all right, there's no one at the end of my draft that I have an upside play for, I'll grab one start of Kyle Gibson and go from there. I, uh, that's not the worst strategy ever. If he is going that opening weekend, he is currently the ace of the Orioles. Just so we're clear. He's like <laughs> oh the opening God. day starter. Uh, so and we- there is something to be said about this. If you're in a league that doesn't have a max transaction limit, um, where you're handcuffed by the draft, like in one league, I am only four transactions between the end of the draft and the end of week one, which is just brutal for me. Um, if you're not like that, then yeah, draft Kyle Gibson at the end, start him on opening day, and then change if it's not good, you know? Uh, I'm okay with that one. That's probably the top of questionable start. Here I am talking about the questionable start tier on December 13th. About, <laughs> I don't know. You heard it here first. Or uh, I have to actually do it. 
but yeah, he'll be probably the top of questionable start. Um, all right, well, let's move on to the next guy that you were able to do a little bit of a the stream pick of the day fast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we did it. We already had the first streaming pick of the day. Al Gibson against the Red Sox because they don't have all they have is Devers left. That's it. Like, who else scares you in that offense right now? The the other Japanese player that they just signed. They signed one. Yeah. The they guy who's going to the guy who's going to hit like 480 uh, with two home runs. What's his name? I can't his name. Uh, I can't oh, remember it right fine. now. No home runs and you're okay, Kyle. <laughs> oh, I missed that. It's a hitter. So I'm like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, what's his name? Yeah. Uh, Yoshida. Masataki Yoshida. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. I knew this. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, well, who Keith Law okay does with, not like. Yeah. That's it. That's all they got. Uh, uh, Hayden Wazenski. Why don't, why don't you give us a quick breakdown of how you're feeling about it? Oh, yeah. Him? That's another player. Hi. Um, so I'm doing these streams on Twitch that I've been really bad about doing the past week. Uh, I'm jumping back into it Wednesday um, and I have to do about two a day or so for the next two weeks um, to get through all of them. So going to do that. Um, Wisniewski was one of them I've already looked at with the Chicago Cubs. And it's one of those moments where you do your independent research and everything, right? Uh, you're doing it on your own. You're like, okay, cool. I'm coming to my own conclusions and stuff. And then I'm going to actually kind of see if this is what I'm missing or, or all that kind of stuff after, right? And I get a Hayden Wesneski. I'm thinking, well, look, we got Cal Hendricks, Marcus Stroman, and Justin Steele are in the rotation. Who? Um, Justin Steele. Thank there you, you so much for that correction. I appreciate there you, you for that. You got it. You uh, got now it. they'd also just signed James Santayo. So now the fifth is actually kind of weird. I don't really know who that's going to be. And I saw here out of the group, of there are a lot of interesting options. There's Wesneski, there's Adrian Sampson, there's Keegan Thompson, there's Javier Assad. Who's going to steal this extra spot in the rotation? And I like Wisniewski the most. And I didn't think I would like him as much as I did. I kind of considered him as a slider fastball guy, and that's it. But the cutter is kind of good. Uh, low hard contact allowed. Uh, gets it over the plate. Good, a good amount. 67% strike rate. I mean, it works. The sinker, 42% O-swing fast. Mm-hmm. He leans this one arm side. Mm. He is super heavy on it uh, against writer ready's writers going inside <laughs> and me. I just, I just get dealt. My window is plastered <laughs> with Hayden with sinkers. It's insane. Um, and then he has a slider that he, that he uses as well. So this kind of works and it's more complete than the other ones uh, that I just mentioned for the Cubs, like, you know, Thompson and, and Samson and so on and the other sons. So, <laughs> I, I I I was like, hey, Wisniewski is someone I think I'd be going for. Oh, man, I can't wait to put out this tweet as he's going to be going in the past 400 of NFBC. And look at NFBC ADP. At the time, he was 287. Interesting. So he's climbing up. Yeah, he's so climbing up. I was like, oh, Wisniewski is someone that like, is a sleeper that I'm kind of in on for being you know not necessarily a 12-teamer, but in other stuff. Like, no, now I'm like, well... The market already loves him too much, and I haven't even started. <laughs> mm. So I, I don't know if he even has a job at this point. That's going to be an interesting one. Are the, the Cubs going to get another guy? I I don't know. Um, they were thinking about it. It makes sense because all those guys I mentioned, none of those are really stalwarts of the staff. You know, None, none of them really define themselves. Adrian Sampson is the most interesting one of the others, but it's Wesneski to me. And if he does get in the rotation... The Cubs get the Brewers, and then they get two games against the Reds. Mm. It is in Cincinnati, but I would still start with Nusky there. So monitor that. 
And I really, I mean, you're going to hear me say this 20 million times if you haven't already. And your 12-teamers, I try to get guys that start that opening weekend. Again, because it's the worst feeling when you have a guy in your team that you're excited about. And he hasn't gone yet. And he's the worst one on your team, but you're excited about him because you're last, he's the one you drop. Mm-hmm. And someone else does so well. And you don't know what to do. If Do you go off and get that guy who just performed well? Or do you wait and see this thing that you drafted and haven't seen yet, right? And if you put yourself in a situation where you only have guys that are the top three of a rotation, you won't ever have to deal with that. Yeah. You will already have them have uh, pitching and then making decisions. I remember this with like Aaron Savali and Zach Plesak, where they both did well and I didn't know which one I liked more. But Savali went like three games beforehand and I was like, oh, well, I don't expect Plesak to do as well, right? And I made that swap. And like, it's just such a hard thing to deal with as a manager for that first week. And I'm going to try and avoid it as much as possible. So, but anyway, Wisniewski, he's interesting. If he gets a fifth spot, I kind of like him. He is very interesting. He's got an interesting profile too. I really, uh, I was, it reminds me of DL Hall um, a little bit, not with the, not with the velocity, but, or the command. Um, uh, or the command. Yeah. But in terms of the uh, movement on the pitches, the changeup ah. gets more active spin than the four seamer does, which I always think is interesting. It's a, such an yeah. interesting thing because the whole thing about change is they usually have a good amount of gyro, which is like the active spin. Right. And the or they do a ton of pronation. Yeah, um, Exactly. And, 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 I guess he does, but he doesn't really throw much. So Wisniewski has a, just seven percent last year. Um, yeah, are you talking about DL Hall's changeup? No, no, no. So, I mean, they're both the same way. They both get more active spin than right. than uh, um, than their four seamer does. So I think it is an, an, a kind of fun and interesting profile. Um, and like you said, he's another fun guy that could theoretically have a lot, a good amount of upside. Like just the movement profile alone is, is really interesting. It's kind of that fun to look at. That is, it really looks like a, it's a curveball slider, whatever you want to call it. Sure. It's really good. It's good. It's a, it's a beaut of a pitch to watch. I'm, 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 I'm in on his, uh, uh, on your assessment of him. I think he could be a fun dude to watch. And between him and Gibson, I would clearly go, you know, he's Gibson. a legend in SP roundup lore. And SP, he why? Is, because he is the only, non uh, follower that is like it's the only time I've led with a pitcher who wasn't the the starting pitcher or opened for he came in relief of Wade Miley oh. after three innings and had four innings of absolute dominance and everyone was just buzzing about it so I had to, mm. to round up on it but it was the only time I've ever done that it's for Hayden the Wazinski the Wazinski award Wisniewski the Wisniewski Award, <laughs> brought to you by. You're like John Travolta Salampa. on stage, messing up the name. Adele Nazim. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, we've we only got a three pitches to talk about. We got eleven minutes hey, to talk about. Long in this one, but yeah, uh, we got you got. Oh, Luis Castillo. Talk to me about him. So okay, Castillo is very very interesting too, and this is the guy that I've really been thinking about a lot, right? So this is a conversation that you and I have had in the Discord, and I'm trying to make it make it succinct here. Obviously, coming into the season, the thing that most people pay attention to when it comes to Luis Castillo is going to be that changeup. It's been his bread and butter. It's the most giveable pitch, even with that horrific camera angle outside of Great American Ballpark. It's a beaut. We love it. This year, it stinks. It stinks. It gives up a good amount of contact. The guys are getting under it a little bit more. But the the four seamer and the slider 
really uh, pick it up for him. Um, now, here's where I've been having a lot of conversations with people and they've been very informative and teaching my brain. Uh, the question that I had was, um, if you, is it true that Sorry, if you don't- Sorry, for teaching your brain is a wonderful yeah. phrase that I don't want to forget. Thank you, thank you. Uh, if you don't, is it true that if you don't use it, you lose it? Oh, um, so, so, and here's what I mean by that, right? Um, there's really, really good reason to believe. I'm pretty sure I can say it with, with certainty that the reason he lost that changeup is because of the tweaks that he made to that four seaman slider. That's what my theory is. It, right? it, I don't even think I, 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 wrist profile on release. I don't even think we can say it's a theory anymore. I think it's pretty fact. I think I'm, I feel 99% certainty that that is why his changeup progressed. Okay? okay. So here's the question then, right? Mm-hmm. Can you in the off season regain the changeup while maintaining the four seamer and slider gains, or sure. I or do you <laughs> only stick with the four seamer and slider gains? And from the conversations that I've had with some people, the answer is no. Mm. The answer is that you cannot really have your cake and eat it too, or that it's very difficult to sure. do that. Right. Um, and so let's now here's the thing. There's no definitive answer there on that. So we talked about earlier. Here are the facts. They're on the table. You make a decision as a fantasy player. The facts are, can he, he changed his, uh, four seam slider. It affected his changeup. You need to decide whether he can get his changeup back or not. If he can't, does it matter? Should we just move on? Because here's the thing. There's, he had never been a fly ball pitcher, right? He'd always been a ground ball pitcher. He kind of led the league in ground ball to fly ball over the past couple of years. And then he gets out of unarguably the worst fly ball park in all of baseball and goes to a stadium where his fly balls, you can let that freak flag fly, baby. You can let the balls fly as high up in the air as you want because it doesn't matter because you're in safe go. Okay. I don't know if he necessarily. I did the same thing. I did the same thing. It's T-Mobile. Yeah, it's I T-Mobile. Still it, I still call it Safeco. But it's I'm a Verizon Safeco. man and I tow the line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I wonder if he's like, I'm in I'm in Safeco slash T-Mobile. <laughs> and I am not really going to care if this changeup continues to give fly balls because they do turn into outs, especially because it means I'm going to maintain the gains that I had. And the K rate was the highest. Oh, uh, was was uh, up since 2021. The walk rate was the lowest it's been since 2018. The whip was the lowest it's been since his rookie year. So I don't know. I don't think it really matters if the changeup comes back. Um, but yeah, that, that that question had been kind of gnawing at me for the past uh, couple of months. With that said, too, my TLDR is I'm kind of thinking he's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty good next year. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm in on uh, Luis Castillo. Um, with the Mariners, I'm sure some of you were wondering, how did he do when he got there? 317 ERA, 110 whip, 29% K rate, 6% walk rate, 15% swing strike rate. His BABIP actually went up to 302, which is really odd. Because as a red the past couple of years, his expected BABIP was way lower than it should be. And this was actually one of the uh, first seasons in a while that it was higher. Um, which is good. That means he's being fortunate or getting fortunate uh, for a change. His four-seamer is excellent. I really want to emphasize that. 149 batting average allowed for Castillo's four-seamer with this 18% hard contact rate. Mm-mm-mm. 17% swing strike rate. Ooh, 
Ooh, that's what I want to see. The uh, the sinker is not. It gets it gets tattered mm. uh, a bit. Tattered is not the right word, but I'm going to leave it at that. 37% uh, percent hard contact rate on it. It's just way worse. You need to get it more inside against righties if he's going to really utilize it. It should just be four seamers. He did increase its usage while he was a Mariner. Um, by the end, he was had games going 40 percent plus four seamer while down to 20 percent on the sinker which is what we want to see uh but yeah the slider became the pitch uh it's really good 183 batting average allowed uh 37 csw 67 strike rate this was something he was struggling mm. with before and what's really fun about our player pages fast is that i had to go to what i called the the this dark hole of the internet which was uh fan graphs pitch fx pages For ages. Uh No one told me about them except Eno mentioned it once. I was like, what? And I found it. I was like, what? Oh my gosh. Why are we, why is everyone not using this? And I had to infer strike rates. I had to kind of figure this out based on zone and O swing. It's why money pitch was a thing because I needed 40% of both to infer that he had a lot of strikes on the pitch. And now I can see, hey, 2018, only a 57% strike rate. 2019, 61, 2020, 59, 2021, 63, and now in 2022, 67% strike rate on Castillo slider, right? That is, oh, I've been waiting for ages for that. So Isn't yeah, that just on, wasn't that That's on, on Brooks Baseball? I know, but it was on uh, Brooks Baseball for years. Strike rate specifically? Yeah. I don't know if it's that, but right, fine, whatever. It was there. <laughs> but I wanted it there, and I wanted it somewhere else, which was our yeah. own page. It's just everything in one spot. Let me have my moment fast. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, Four-seamer slider could be Cassio's thing. I think the team defense is better as well. As you mentioned, the fly ball stuff. It all just makes sense in the world that Cassio goes over 200 strikeouts, has good ratios again. As the hipper nine came all the way back down to 7.1, supposed to eight and above the past two seasons because the BAPIP has been normalized as it should be. Things are good. Go get Luis Castillo. He's going to be a stud for you. Around a three ERA, 105 to 110 whip, and 200 plus strikeouts. Love it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. And you, oh, you had coffee for me. I'm so touched. Sorry. Um, you, uh, you, to uh, reform the bubble I have burst, I believe it's a different interpretation of strike rate. Um, there you go. So always built. I can't help but think of it. You remember that Light sound bubble. effect? Never be that? popped. You know that sound effect of Sonic eating the bubble underwater? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. You nailed it. <laughs> I don't know how I did. That was the first go of it. I was <laughs> about to embarrass myself, and I'm so happy. I didn't. Yours was... <laughs> um, anyway, uh, let's. you have to choose between one of these two pitchers. I will not let you do both. Yeah, we're not uh, you, have to choose, yeah, yeah. you have to choose one. So go ahead and pick. Um, I'm going to just tell you that I was in Andre Jameson and Ryan Nelson in the preseason, and I'm not anymore um, oh that's it uh, well you wanted me i'm gonna i'm pretty much just like look dre jameson's fastball is not as good as i thought it was uh i thought it'd be more of like a 97 98 mile per hour fastball that is overwhelming batters and getting a high swing strike rate it's sub 10 percent uh he still also has to work on i think strike rates a bit um with uh with his change up and his curveball which aren't there so it's really just a four seamer and and uh slider mix the sinker is there too uh, not as good as the four-seamer, in my opinion. But then again, the four-seamer got crushed for 46% hard contact rate in the small sample. 
it just to me feels like, wait, what am I chasing? This guy's slider, 25% swing strike rate. Sure. But I watch video and this is this is my process. I watch the games of these, at least one of these guys, like one game you need to watch just to get a sense of how they're attacking it. What's the feel of this? And then you look at the numbers and stuff. Does this line up? Does this make sense? And with Dre Jameson, it was like, all right, you throw a good slider once and then it's a bad one. And maybe it's just him having jitters of being in the MLB for the first time. But we see those nice games that he had against the Padres and the the, the Dodgers, sorry, the and the, the Giants. And I feel like, yeah, I don't really want to go for this. And Ryan Nelson's pretty much the same way. Um, they're both not enough. Go for Brandon Fott, who Chris Clegg, our new uh, head of Dynasty here at PitcherList, uh, cannot mm-hmm. be more thrilled about that. Just put out his first article officially with the site, doing a fantastic breakdown of Brandon Fott with gifts included. Go check that out on the site. You should be much more excited for him than either of these two guys. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, hey. All right, the last uh, guy that we're going to talk about today um, is a name that you brought up that I was also very interested in. So I'm happy that you brought him up. Uh, and that's Hunter Green. Hunter Green is one of those dudes that for me just kind of keeps popping up on a bunch of little weird lists that I uh, uh, dig into for no random reason. Um, one of them that he popped up on first was most improved pitches between the first and second half in terms of Woba. And lo and behold, Hunter Green's four-seamer. There it is in the second half, the most improved pitch in baseball. Another thing that he popped up on is if you um, take Sierra and subtract ERA and see who has the largest difference, uh, there's a pretty good difference there for Hunter Green, meaning that he's probably going to see a drop in that ERA next year. And then lastly, the last way he's also one of the few people who uh, appeared in Clue. Hunter, oh god, oh man, yeah, that was it. That was my last one. Uh, that, that was, was the last, last thing line. I. That was the last thing I researched on Hunter. Everyone Green. goes no, Mitch White, <laughs> um, Daryl Plum. Uh, <laughs> I remember what <laughs> pitcher's name? We just made up. What? Um, okay, all and right. There's of course the uh, mustard app. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the last thing about Hunter Green, too, Brad looking Peacock. at okay, please continue, Nick. The last thing uh, about Hunter Green, looking at three fairly sticky um, swing and miss metrics in swinging strike rate, in zone swinging strike rate, and K rate, he had really above average in all three. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking about when I was uh, prioritizing those three categories, the top ten for that was like. Shane McClanahan, Spencer Strider, Dylan Cease, Shohei Otani, and then there was Hunter Green. Um, obviously, a lot of people want to write him off because at the beginning of the year, that four-seamer was electric, but it was electric going as much as it was coming in. Uh, it was getting hit hard. It improved a lot in the second half, still obviously in Great American Ballpark, so I don't know how much that is going to continue to hurt, but I, I don't know. I want you to give us your analysis of Hunter Green, and I want you to end it on Green versus Lodolo for 2020. Oh, don't do that to me. That oh, that's that's not fair. Um, Hunter Green is someone I, I struggle to rank because on one side I can do a comp of him towards like Robbie Ray, Tyler Glasnow, Blake Snell, of being a four seamer guy with a slider. Um, who just all right, we don't know where it's gonna go, but it just generally works. And as long as he gets those fastballs enough in the zone, it's fine. I could also go on the side of, no, this is actually just like Christian Javier and Spencer Strider of an overpowering fastball and then a slider that misses bats as well. Um, Or I can go to the Matthew Boyd side and say Mm -hmm. he is going to get you strikeouts, but you're going to hate your ERA. 
is he just a pure cherry bomb. Those last six starts are everything for Hunter Green. Uh, fastball, as you say, got was improved the most in the second half. Well, since the 26th, which then he 26th and then the um, August 1st, then he got injured, came back on the 17th of September, 22nd, 27th, and October 3rd, finished the season. High lock on his four seam was 63%. That What's the league average? Excellent. 50, uh, 50%. So hmm. way, way, way better um, than what you normally get uh, from a yeah, 51 on high lock for four seamers. So that is everything. Now, if you look at where Hunter Green allowed his hits in 2022, it was all when they were low. I mean, it's just de facto. If you he, if he did poorly, it was low fastballs. Uh, that's my biggest question is, do I buy into Hunter Green's adjustment in the second half to be sticky through next year? Was he just in rhythm for six starts? I don't know yet. I don't like that he pitches in Great American Small Park. Uh, Casey Baba, shout out. I mm. I don't like that he doesn't have a third pitch. I don't believe in his fastball consistency like I do with Spencer Strider and Christian Javier yet. I originally had him ranked around 60 because the guys in the 40s and 50s are all these same, it's the same mold of choose your upside however you want. Go for whatever you want to chase. Is it injury recovery? Is it opportunity? Is it whatever? Choose it however you want. Under Green is there too. I just happened to put him at the end because I felt more like he was a cherry bomb. I'm more inclined to go in on Hunter Green now because he actually, with intent, went up and succeeded at it. And I think you're going to see him closer to 40 or so for me around there um, in my top 200. It's He's going to have headaches. Um, yeah. Now, him versus Lodolo, I feel like Lodolo is safer. Uh, I feel like what Lodolo brings to the table does uh, just... He executes his game plan more consistently. He did during his rookie year. He's not as overwhelming at times as Hunter Green, though, if he's able to actually go upstairs and then get the slider down. Uh, Four-seamer for the season was a 15% swing strike rate. The slider had a 63% strike rate. That's a 34% uh, uh, CSW, which is amazing. Hunter Green versus Lodolo. Hunter Green will be like around like 40. Lodolo's a little bit safer. I think he's more complete for a year, but the ceiling, of course, really fun with, uh, with Hunter Green. I get it. Wait, so Hunter Green's going to be around 40, you said? Yeah, I'm pushing And then up. So Lodolo, l- higher or lower? It's going to be like right there. Okay, so both in the 40s. Or like around 40. Oh, interesting. Interesting, yeah. fun. Um, I don't want to bias you. I want to see where you end up on it. Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked into Lodolo enough. Um, so I, I think he has a little bit of a deeper arsenal. And yeah. I think the changeup can improve too, which is really cool. Yeah, so I, um, I do. Even if I do believe in the Hunter Green changes, I still think he's predominantly that four seamer. It's not like he's a Strider kind of guy. Um, right. And like we saw earlier, like there can be really bad downside for that four seamer. So I think yeah, I would probably absolutely. give Lodolo the straight edge, but um, I'd give him a straight edge. I'd give him two little X's on his hands and two tickets to go see AFI. Um, all right. <laughs> I Nick. was going to say a blade, a sword, but it's fine. Okay. Uh, we should probably wrap this up now. Yes, Nick, that is it. That was a fun podcast. I'm glad we did that. it. <laughs> I know, seriously. Wow, look at you go. That is going to do it for our episode number 361 of On the Court of the Official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast. And I'm Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week.